Hi everyone and welcome to Take 10 for Torah, number 928. I hope you all are well. Any questions, comments, suggestions, recommendations, or sponsorships, please email me at rabbiismach at take10fortorah.org. This week is Parshas Mishpatim. Now, Parshas Mishpatim gets very legalistic. It gets into very uh, nitty-gritty laws, and it begins, Ve'ela HaMishpatim, and these are the laws. Rashi points out, Ve'ela seems to connect it using that letter Vav as a conjunctive to the parasha beforehand, parasha Yisro, so as if to say that it's connected in that the same way the material on last week's parasha, the moments of revelation, that story, and the Ten Commandments exist and came from Sinai, so too all of the laws herein. Now, Rav Hirsch, he begins uh, Parshas Mishpatim with the following. He says, to the unprejudiced mind, again, this is Rav Hirsch, Mishpatim 11.1, Shmos 11.1, to the unprejudiced mind, nothing can show so strikingly the truth of the traditional oral law as the first two paragraphs with which this Mosaic lawgiving starts. The civil and criminal laws of the nation are to be given. The fundamental basis and the ordinances of justice and humaneness are to be laid down, which are to govern the relationship and behavior of man to his fellow man. The first matter to be dealt with, quite naturally, is the rights of man. But incredibly, it starts with the sentences when a man sells another man and when a man sells his daughter. How unthinkable if actually this written word, the book of the law of the Jewish nation, should really be the one and only source of the Jewish conception of rights. What a mass of laws and jurisprudence must have already been said and fixed, considered laid down and explained before the book of law could reach these laws, or even speak of them, which after all are only quite exceptional cases. Now the point that he's making is, and and it's a part of a longer essay, and he says some significant things in this essay, but the point that he's making is very simply, it's impossible to imagine that what comes immediately after the revelation are the laws of when you buy a slave, when you buy a servant. There must be a a background, there must be some basic laws about rights to discuss the far applications in the very uh, specific scenarios, which are, as he says, quite exceptional and very irregular. And this really lends to the idea of the oral Torah in addition to a written Torah. We know that the Torah is given, we have the five books of Moses, we have all of the material that exists in the scrolls, in the Torahs that we have, but we also know that we believe that there is more information than just what we have in the written Torah. The Rav Hirsch understands these as sort of written notes on an oral lecture. That's the purpose of the written Torah. But that's a perspective hopefully we'll get to at a different time. The discussion about this, of course, is very far-reaching and very significant. Is all the material, all of the information that we need to know to live the Jewish life found in the five books of Moses, found in the written version of our Torah. So we know the very well-known story, Gemara and Shabbos, it says, There was once a Gentile who comes before Shammai and says, How many Toros do you have? Meaning, how many bodies of law are there? Amar lo, Shammai responds, Shtayim, there are two. There's Torah Shabbat, Torah Shabbat Peh. There's one of each. Amar lo, Shabbat Amimah Mincha, Ushabbat Peh, Enimah Mincha. I believe you about the written Torah. It's sitting right in front of me. I can look at your scroll. I see it. But the oral Torah, you know, it's more ephemeral. I don't really know what you're talking about. I don't believe you. Girani, convert me. Amanashul Tlamdani, Torah Shabbat uh, convert me so that you will teach me only Torah Shabbat Meaning, I only want to be a Jew 
Inasmuch that I can accept the written Torah, not the oral Torah. Garbo, Shammai was uh, very frustrated with him. He, you know, I don't know, yelled at him. Vahotzio ben Azifa, and he didn't, you know, didn't treat him very nicely. Balafnei Hillel, this same Gentile with that same problem, comes before Hillel. He says, Gaira. And so the Gemara tells us that Hillel indeed converted him. And then the games start. Yomakama Amalei Aleph Beis Gimel Dalad. So the first day, Hillel's giving him his education, his Jewish education. He says, Aleph Beis Gimel Dalad. This is the Jewish alphabet. Lamachar the next day, Apichle. He told it the other way around. So he switched the Aleph Beis Gimel Dalad to Dalad Gimel Beis Aleph. Amalei says the Gentile, Vaha Esmal Lo Lo Hachi. But Esmal yesterday, you said the other way around. It was Aleph through Dalad, not the other way around. Amarlo responds, Hillel, Yes, you relied on me in regard to this. You should rely on me in regard to Torah Shabbat as well. And what he's saying is something more than just, hey, you trusted me on this. Trust me that this Torah Shabbat He's saying the very nature of the alphabet, the fact that these letters go in sequence, the fact that when you read the book, you're supposed to read from the top down and not the other way around. The fact that the words form the way they do really involve an oral tradition of some kind. To what extent the oral tradition goes, that's a separate question, but it's very difficult to remove the notion of oral tradition from a written text. Even the sects that um, that have existed throughout Jewish history that did not believe in the rabbinic version of the oral tradition believed in an oral tradition. That there is something body of information that you need to know just to be able to get through the written information is obvious and very simple. So uh, what, there's a tremendous amount to talk about here in regard to how do we know? How, do you, how can you look at the Torah and know that there's an oral tradition? So I'll just mention some very simple ideas, very simple um, places where this comes up. Uh, one of them, of course, is the Rav Hirsch I began with. Rav Hirsch says that you can't read Mishpatim and assume that this is all we got. The type of niche cases that come up and uh, the few and far between experiences that are actually um, painting real life uh, is, is very odd for this to be the basis of our law. There has to be a corpus of information that's assumed already. We have, um, we have this idea again and again, references in the Torah or a need for there to be an oral tradition. For example, you know, just simple narrative issues. You have contradictions. How long were the Jews in Egypt? Were they there 430 years? Were they there 350, which is what you result in if you do the math? How many Jews went down to Egypt? Do you have a report of 70? Do you have a report of 69? Um, uh, some census reports are not as they come out if you do the counting. You have different names of God. You have different things which require explanation. You have uh, different differences in instructions. You have the mitzvah of matzah. One mitzvah of matzah says you eat it for seven days. One says you eat it for six days. You have the prohibition of chametz, where it says seven days uh, leaven may not be found in your homes. Another one says on the first day you can't rid yourselves of chametz. How in the world do we drive all of these ideas? We have sometimes contradictory actions where there's a Torah law and then we see somebody behaving in a way which seems against that Torah law. How do we understand that? What do we do when we have contradictory principles? We have circumcision, we have Shabbat. Like, are those two things, can they go in concert? Are they are they objectionable? Can they go on at the same time or not? And so there's a variety of things that require that type of explanation that when reading the physical, the written text, you have no choice but to conclude that there's something more. Other examples include certain commandments where there's a reference 
to a body of law that is uh, that must exist somewhere but is not in this book. So, for example, when it talks about Shechita, it says that you're going to go to the land of Israel and you're going to be very distant from that place where God created the base of Mikdash, and you're going to go and, and uh, slaughter your cattle, and your sheep, because you're going to want to eat. So how are you going to slaughter it? So the Pasuk says, as I have commanded you, and you're going to eat it wherever you are. You don't need to be near a base of to eat. You could slaughter animals wherever you want, because, you know, that's how we make meat. And so this notion of, of uh, slaughtering, how do we know that it exists? It exists because the Torah says, and it refers to the fact that it exists. But where do these laws exist? I'm not sure, because the Pasuk just says, as I have commanded you, without actually telling us where that is. Now, um, and a lot of this tradition, the Gemara even discusses how it's Halacha Sinai, which we'll talk about a different time, is a body of uh, laws which really are just passed down from generation to generation, and that's how we know that these things exist. But there are many other examples as well. You know, you read um, the Torah, the Torah says, Pru Uruvu, you know, go and be fruitful and multiply. So, like, what exactly is that? talking about what does that mean is it a commandment is it a blessing uh who's god talking to is he talking to the man is he talking to the woman fruitful multiply like what type of fruit or how many types of kids how many kids uh what's called kids you know do they have to uh, go to a certain age for me to fulfill the mitzvah do grandchildren count do they count what exactly does it mean of course more famously we have the prohibition of shabbos when it comes to shabbos the torah refers a few times to shabbos and not doing work but work in no place is defined and again and again altogether there are a bunch of areas in the torah that seem to indicate that there is something else happening there's something else there which is going to answer these questions and describe where these laws are derived that's what we call the oral torah and in future classes i'd like to talk about more of these examples why there's an oral torah and why it's so important that there is one have a great day